in the 1971 episode, we have much to discuss, including the absolute fall from grace of the Swans. A big player transfer happens involving the Tigers and the Saints. One game later, one game late in the season is affected by a nice soupy fog. Collingwood hits some late season issues with their captain. Peter Hudson closes in on Bob Pratt's 150 goals in the season record. And the grand final is one of the most brutal deciders we've had in a long time. And also a Mike found a successor to Dick Condon. All this and more coming up after our song. It's the history of football we knows about. And we want to expand what we know. We'll become such intelligent gentry With every kick-to-kick show Beginning in the time 1870s Right through to the modern day Tune in for Timmy Coops and the Kazmaz To hear what they all have to say Welcome to the Kick to Kick podcast, the Australian Rules Football History podcast, taking a deep dive into the history of the league. We have no real qualifications to bring you this show other than a thirst for knowledge, a desire to relive the past, and we've got lots of books. My name is Tim, and over there I've got Charlie. Hello! Just the two of us today, reliving the 1971 season. Yes. Into another decade. It is. We are ensconced in season in the 1970s now. Ensconced. ensconced. Great. Um, now, we have a new format we've talked about. We are splitting this episode in half. Yes, So yeah. this is part one. We will talk about the teams that finished 12th to 5th. And then part two will be the finalists and then the finals. Making it a more delicious bite-sized little chunk for, for yes. all you lovely listeners at home. I doubt it'll be bite-sized. No, it certainly big. won't. It'll be king-sized. Maybe it'll be two <laughs> king-sized bars. <laughs> all right, so 1971. Um, i got a song for you, Charlie. Yes, bring it on. Song of the Year. Eagle Rock by Daddy Cool. Oh, number one in Australia for ten weeks. Too good. Love that. Uh, would you like to hear about some things that happened in 1971? Yeah, tell us. Okay. Uh, starting on the 5th of January 1971, the first ever one-day international cricket match was played between Australia and England at the MCG. Is that a super rule, like a Murdoch thing? Yes. Yeah. Oh, I believe so. Yes. Uh, on the 17th of Jan, we had the Baltimore Colts defeating the Dallas Cowboys 16-13 in Super Bowl V to win the NFL Championship. Oh, so wasn't last season the leagues combined? Yes. So the Super Bowl started before those leagues had combined. Yeah. Interesting. Right. So the Colts scored the winning points on a 32-yard field goal with Jim O'Brien with five seconds remaining. I be- yeah, I believe that's one of the all-time great yeah, Super Bowls. I'm not sure. On the 28th of Feb, we had Evil Knievel setting a world record, jumping 19 cars on a motorbike in Ontario, California. Fantastic. Uh, On the 8th of March, we had the fight of the century. Joe Frazier defeated Muhammad Ali in a 15-round unanimous decision at MSG, Madison Square Garden. On the 30th of April, the Bucks swept the Bullets in four games to win their first NBA championship. So that's the Milwaukee Bucks and the Baltimore Bullets. On the 9th of May, we had Arsenal beating Liverpool 2-1 to to win the FA Cup, thus completing the League and Cup double. So what's that? A week apart, the double. Yeah, there you go. Well, May 3rd and May 9th. Okay, yep. On the 18th of May, we had the Montreal Canadiens winning the Stanley Cup against the Chicago Blackhawks. They became only the second team in NHL history to win the Cup in Game 7 on the road uh, and did so after the home team had won each of the previous six games. Yeah. 
On the 13th of July, we had Reggie Jackson's long home run, which hit a transformer on the roof of Tiger Stadium. It helped the American League defeat the National League 6-4 in the Major League Baseball All-Star Game in Detroit. Uh, On the 15th of August, we had Jackie Stewart becoming the Formula One World Drivers' Champion. On the 18th of September, we had South Sydney defeating St George 16-10 in the NSWRL Grand Final at the SCG, thus winning four premierships in five years and the 20th overall, and their last one until 2014. Uh, October 13, we had the Pittsburgh Pirates defeating the Baltimore Orioles 4-3 in Game 4 of the World Series at home in the first ever Major League Baseball postseason game played at night. So this, was it a sweep? Was that to win the World Series? Was it best of, yeah. best of seven? So that's a sweep. Four, three. four. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. The Pirates, oh no, sorry. No, that's not right. It wasn't a sweep. The Pirates then went on to defeat the Orioles 2-1 in the decisive game seven at Baltimore four days later. Yeah, great. Then we had Silver Knight winning the Melbourne Cup in November and on the 30th of December this isn't sports related but Australia related uh, the very first McDonald's in Australia opened in Yaguna, Sydney in Yaguna there you go lovely Uh, some people who were born please some Australians Uh, we had Lisa McCune of Blue Heelers fame on the 19th of Feb Todd Woodbridge on the 2nd of April Uh, Stuart Appleby the golfer 1st of May Julian Assange on the 13th of July Robert Allenby on the 12th of July, Matty Hayden on the 29th of October, and Gilly, Adam Gilchrist, also known as Eric Gilchurch, apparently. Really? On the four- no, that that's, was a nickname. Okay. On the 14th of November. There we go. Cool. Good. All right. Some league news to start with. Mm-hmm. Because it's football season, and that's the reason it's the time of the year that we love. Uh, the VFL sold Harrison House headquarters. For $95,000. What a steal. And moved to 84 Jollymont Street. So this was mid-year. Um, VFL President Sir Kenneth Luke died in 1971 on the 13th of June at his oh. Hawthorne home after a long illness. He'd been VFL President since 1956 and Carlton President before that. Uh, Waverley Park was obviously his legacy and they have um, Sir Kenneth Luke's stand. is still. I, I st- think it's still the stand that's there that Hawthorne have standing. Okay. Um, another Carlton man, Sir Maurice Arnold, took over as VFL president. Waverley News. I know you, you're big, big shoes to fill. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, the Waverly, capac- yeah. capacity of Waverley has increased from fifty-four, sorry, forty-five thousand six hundred to sixty-nine thousand five hundred, including forty-two thousand seats. And a new scoreboard was also installed at the southwestern end. Um, originally, the plan for Waverley was to have one hundred and fifty thousand people. Really? The original plans have got these ridiculous stands that go this all the way back. Like because, well, because they dug down into the ground, so that yeah, was they kind of go the plan. A bit Yeah, but it never eventuated. No. Um, now, also, because of the Hawthorne tactic of flooding the middle, which we'll talk about later, yes. the VFL sought permission for the a- from the AFC, who had dropped the uh, dropped national from their name this year, yep. Australian Football Council, to introduce a 50 by 50 centre square and only allow four players from each team into it. Ah, the okay. other states rejected this proposal for now. For now, yes. yes. It's looming. And we also have the debut this year of umpire Ian Robinson. Out of bound, on the full. So, Charlie, let's work our way up this ladder from bottom to top. Let's do it. So, in 12th place, 
the cellar dwellers. <laughs> South Melbourne. Who, look, they were in finals last yeah. year. They were, the, they were the big story, the, the, um, the darlings of 1971. 70. 1970. How the mighty have fallen. Yeah. Uh, so, with only three wins and 19 losses and a percentage of 69.9 this year, captained by Bobby Skilton, coached by Norman Smith. Um, unbelievable to think a team with those two names in the lead could be on the bottom of the ladder. Well, I mean, Bob Skilton's been there for a while, so he knows how it feels, but Norm Smith, not so much. Mm. Uh, right, some debuts. Ron Page, Peter Brown, Bob Bell, David Drosher. They also recruited Ernie Hug from Collingwood and Ray Ball from Richmond. However, the Swans were embarrassed in round one by the D's, and we'll get to this when we talk about the D's, uh, with Lou Richards saying the Swans didn't have a feather to fly with. Oh. In round two, Bobby Skilton was played in the back pocket instead of the middle in a surprise move by Norm Smith in a move that didn't really work and saw the Swans lose by three goals. Round three saw reigning Brownlow medalist Peter Bedford crack some ribs in a loss to the Dogs and miss the next three games. Oh. Skilton also started the game in the back pocket but was moved into the middle after his opponent kicked two early goals early on. So that experiment was done. Done, yep. Uh, round four, after a loss to the Tigers, John Suttles, who had kicked 60 goals the previous season, retired and returned home to Rapanyup. So they've lost a few players here as well and got some injuries. Uh, they should have beaten the Blues in round six, but could only add one five in the final quarter to fall two points short. Finally, in round seven, the Swans broke through for their first win. Jeez, that'd be a disappointing start after the... You After know, the highs of last 70, year. Yeah. yeah. Taking on Essendon at Windy Hill, Peter Bedford was back for the Swans, and new recruit Neville Miller bagged five goals. Uh, and Bobby Skilton led the possessions for the Swans. This was their first win at Windy Hill in 26 years. It's not, wow. a, bad, not a bad one to have. Um, four weeks later, they won their second game of the season. Wayne Walsh and Peter Bedford were the best for the Stars, who hung on to win by nine points against... North Melbourne at Arden Street. Uh, they were then in. There were embarrassments for the Swans, including scoring just two goals and a loss to the Demons. Both goals were kicked by Stephen Hoffman. And a few weeks later, they kicked only three goals against Hawthorne, which uh, their score, I believe, was the lowest score of the entire decade of the 1970s. Oh, really? Their score was uh, three goals, 15 33. I'm just going to double check that because the Demons might have held them to a lower one. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> ah, they did. Um, so there were embarrassments for the Swans, including scoring just two goals and a loss to the Demons. The score, their score of two goals, six of the whole game, was the lowest score for the whole decade of the 70s. Um, in that game, Stephen Hoffman kicked both their goals. And then a few weeks later, they kicked three goals against the Hawks in another loss. They lost 10, goals, 10 games straight heading into the final round. Round 22 would be Bobby Skilton's last game, something he'd announced earlier in the season. So they, they were taking on North Melbourne at Lakeside Oval, and the Swans really had something to play for. And boy, did they. Peter Bedford kicked seven, Ricky Quaid four, as the Swans really turned in their best form of the season to win by 72 points. Hometown fans cheered Skilton and his victorious teammates off the Lakeside Oval. I mean, a good way to end a very disappointing season. Yeah. So what was the reason for their fall from grace from fourth to last? Go on. A little bit of complacency, a big loss of experienced players, and 
you'll be surprised to know there was a bit of tension between the committee and the coach off the field. Oh, really? Yeah, Norm Smith wasn't really happy with how the committee were trying to control things. I mean, it's a bit unlike him, isn't it? Very, very. <laughs> oh, my God. So, there you go. Okay. So, big. So a few big retirements, were they? Oh, at the there end was, of last at year. At the end of 1970, there were a few yeah. big losses of experienced players who Moving on either or retired retiring. or moved on. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yes, well, if you, we're looking here, our lead goal kicker for South was Peter Bedford with 44. That's not bad. No, nah, well, yeah, it's okay. And the Bobby Skilton medal in 71 went to Peter Bedford for the third time. Yeah. So there we go. Good. Which moves us up to 11th on the ladder. Those same olds, <laughs> the Dons. Oh, dear. Yes, with uh, four wins, one draw, and 17 75.7 Not a pretty season So captained again by uh, Barry Davis And coached by your man John, John Burt. Burt Yes, Burt yes. Um, Dick Reynolds also returned to the club As a chairman of selectors in 71 um, Some de- de- debuts for the Bombers as well Which I forgot to mention Were Graham Schultz, Barry Grinter and Alan Gracco Alright an ins- as, um, as inspiration to avoid the team winning the wooden, wooden spoon, John Burt had a wooden spoon put up overlooking the players in the dressing rooms oh, as God. a reminder of not what to win. Um, they lost their first two games, but played a good draw against 1970 runner-up Collingwood in round three. Uh, Barry Davis really tried his best to get the Bombers over the line. Uh, the Bombers gained their first win of the season in round five over the Cats, effectively giving the Bombers a 40-point head start in the match as they booted eight goals, four to two goals in the opening quarter. Wow. Yeah, the cats, great start. the cats actually did peg back the lead and got with and got within five points before Essendon wrestled back the momentum, took control once again to eventually run out thirty-three point winners. Noonan, Gross, and Blethen all kicked five goals. Their second win was round ten at Windy Hill, taking on North Melbourne. It was a tight tussle throughout, with North always nipping at the Bombers' heels, but led by Don Gross and Barry Davis, the Bombers ran out thirty-three point winners again. So, same margin. Round 16, I mean, these wins are few and far between. <laughs> Round 16, the game between Essendon and Geelong, which was 10th and 11th on the ladder, had more goals than any other match in that round. 29 in total. Really? Yeah. Not very defensive teams, obviously. Wow. Oh, just trying to give their fans, you know, something what? cheerful. <laughs> yeah. Um, as Essendon got their very first win at the new league ground of Waverley. Oh. It was Jeff Bleffman and Ian Payne who gave the Bombers drive from the wing all day, Dons by 29. How wide are the goals at Waverley? <laughs> Is there a change? Hopefully. <laughs> and the Bombers' final win of the season in round 18 was over South Melbourne by 10 points in a pretty even game. A seven-goal second quarter gave the Bombers a good three-goal lead at halftime. The Swans did come back, um, but the Bombers were able to steady. Don McKenzie worked tirelessly in the ruck, and John Williams gave lots of drive. Nice. Okay. Uh, so the lead goal kicker for Essendon in 71 was Alan Noonan with 31 and the Crichton medal winner was Barry Davis for the third time. Not bad. Great. Which takes us up to that 10th spot uh, and the Pivotonians. Geelong. Um, with five wins and 17 losses and 82.1%. Uh, coached by Bill McMaster and captained by Billy Goggin. All right, some debuts for Geelong. We've got Warwick Yates, Peter Brown, Michael Woolner, and John Friend. And one 
player of note is David Clark. Yes. Charlie, tell us a bit about David Clark. Yes. So David Clark uh, was recruited locally by the Cats from Geelong College. Uh, he made his debut in the opening round of the 71 season and went on to become one of the most exciting as well as arguably the most consistent of the club stars throughout the 70s. Uh, so he was uh, best remembered as a half-forward flanker, but he was equally effective in the centre, on the ball, or even sometimes at centre-half back. So a good little swing man for the, for the Cats. This is, it's unusual to see the Cats down this low. They haven't been this low for yeah. a long time. Um, pre-season, Sam Newman broke his wrist, putting him out for the majority of the season. Was that when he punched someone in the face? No. I don't think so. No, I, I don't think so. No. Um, so they lost their first game, but round two, making his debut for the John Long Cats in the number 31 jumper was Peter Brown, which was all the more confusing because making his debut for the Swans on the same day was also Peter Brown, <laughs> number 32. Oh, really? The very first time, uh, the only time players with the same name have debuted in the same game. How funny. Um, <laughs> the Cats winning that game by three goals at Lakeside Oval. Um, then the Cats suffered 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 losses in a row. Unheard of for them. Oof. The round 11 game against Richmond at Cardinia Park marked the 246th game for Billy Goggin, which was a club record-breaking Reg Hickey's record that stood since 1940. Yeah, wow. Players, officials and hundreds of children formed the guard of honour that stretched into the middle of the ground. Unfortunately, the team couldn't get the win. Although Doug Wade kicked six, the team lost by 50. However, Sam Newman made a pretty good return from injury. Great. Uh, a week later, round 12 against St Kilda, Cats black back flanker Jim Wright ran out with, the gla- with glasses taped onto his head. He couldn't find his contact, so he had glasses taped to his head. But when rain started in the second quarter, he couldn't see and had to discard them. Classic. Uh, Wright was actually one of the better players for the Cats on the day, but just like the glasses, Geelong seemed to abandon the game early on, being crushed by St Kilda. <laughs> Now, round 13 was disastrous. Now, round 13, the second quarter was disastrous for the Cats, with Brian Nankervis breaking his arm just minutes after Sam Newman appeared to injure the same wrist he'd broken earlier in the season. Regardless of this, they still earned a win over the Swans. A week later, in a loss to the Hawks, Doug Wade kicked his 700th career goal. That is huge. So, why is our full forward of the uh, the last Yeah, makes sense. now, round 18, coach Bill McMaster helped mastermind a victory over the Pies. And the Cats played with guts. And this was typified by the Cats coming back from 20 points at three-quarter time. The Cats' centre line dominated. Bill Ryan at centre-half forward had 19 possessions and kicked six goals one, while Doug Wade was equally as dangerous with nine goals even after he collided with the goalpost in the third quarter. Cats were able to beat the Pies by nine points at, I believe, at Victoria Park. Let me just double-check that. No, I'd cut in your park. Round 20 against North Melbourne, Doug Wade and Bill Ryan turned in a very memorable performance. Let me tell you this, Charlie. Yeah. Wade, with his hand heavily taped, was unbeatable in front of goals. He finished the game with 19 disposals, 12 marks, and kicked 13 goals too. Jeez. His best goal being his 11th, which was a 70-metre bomb from the edge of the wing. While in the same game, Bill Ryan took 18 marks, had 26 kicks, and kicked seven goals straight. Oh, my God. Cats won by 75. Uh, leading up to the round 21 match against the Dogs, Bill Goggin announced his retirement, which must have stirred him to play one of the best games of his career. The Cats dominated from the get-go. Uh, Goggin had 30 kicks, 6 marks and 4 handballs, while Bill Ryan kicked 8 goals, 5 to lead the Cats to a 31-point victory. Massive. Uh, the Cats weren't able to win their final game of the season going down to Geelong, uh, going down to Richmond by 8 points in what would probably be considered a pretty disappointing season for them. Yeah. 
Yeah, very yeah, very uh, disappointing there. So, uh, lead goal kicker for Geelong was, of course, Doug Wade with 94. Didn't quite crack the ton this year. So close. Uh, and the Kaji Greaves medal went to the new recruit, David Clark. Yeah, he had a pretty good season. And uh, the runner-up was the I mean, re- Bill Ryan? Re- retiree Bill Goggin. I can't, um, Bill Ryan's stats are ridiculous. I can't believe he wasn't up there. Oh, that. really? But how's that two bookends? Yeah. Imagine, yeah. Good way to go out. Re- Absolutely. Runner-up in the BNF. Yep. Yeah. So, climbing up this ladder uh, into the single digits now in ninth place, we have uh, the Kangaroos, North Melbourne, with five wins, one draw, and 16 losses, and a very miserly percentage of 66.8, the lowest percentage of the loss. They're quite high for that percentage, aren't, aren't they? they? I think that draw must be part of it. Mm. So, captained by Barry Goodingham, and coached by Brian Dixon. Yeah, a bit of Melbourne touch. Bit it's of kind of, all these Norm Smith prodigies are kind mm. of spreading out, aren't mm. they? The Clarkson effect? Early Clarkson effect? I suppose you can call it that, or... Yeah. Would it be the Jack Worrell effect or the Jock McHale effect? I mean, you've had a lot oh, of... That's true. Jock McHale did the same thing. <coughs> Norm, can... well, I guess, is it Norm Smith? You've got Barass. He's a checker Hughes. I mean, you can chase all, like... That's true. All the coaches are affected by other coaches. That's it. <laughs> all right, some debutantes. We've got some great names here and a big debut as well. So we've got Athel Hodgetts, Robert Smith, taking some time out of the cure and, <laughs> good, and, and good. playing with North, uh, Brian Mulverhill, Gary Cowton, and Leo Gronerwegen. But the biggest name they recruited was Keith Gregg. Yes. So uh, Keith Gregg uh, going on to become a dual Brownlow medalist. Uh, he was one of the most exciting footballers of his era. So during a brief stint with Brunswick, uh, sorry, following a brief stint with Brunswick, he embarked on a glittering 294-game career with North Melbourne, during which his trademark long stride became one of football's most recognisable sights. Greg was equally proficient as a wingman or on a halfback flank. And there's some great stories. I'm, I've been doing a little bit of forward research. The 1974 Brownlow, I believe, yep. is uh, shrouded in controversy. Really? Yeah. Um, all right, so Brian Dixon as coach wasn't the only big change. Alan Aylett was also appointed president. Which is a huge thing and will have ramifications down throughout the 70s. Aylett's vision included a five year plan to win a flag. Hang on, Aylett only retired a couple of years ago, didn't he? Uh, possibly. He's been kicking around for a long time. Yeah, yeah. Um, five year, one of the classic five year plan to win a flag. Yeah. Everyone at the club was reviewed in order to focus on this goal. Part of the review included a set of new socks for the team, changing from the hoop socks that they had to just a straight pair of blue socks. Much more serious. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if, if you're talking, that's top of the list on your five-year plan. Change the socks. socks. Step one. For sure. Yep. Um, Barry Cable was cleared back to Perth as per his contract. Oh, yes, yes. So he's tied in Victoria. He's tied to the Kangaroos. I think part of his contract was he was going to play one season and go back to Perth for a few years and then come back to Melbourne. So we haven't seen the last of him. He'll be back. They're North are good at these weird deals to get people. Like in at this they're, time, yeah, in the eighties and nineties, they're, they're forward thinking, and we'll see more of that as we go forward. Um, it was a long season though for the Roos with few and far wins, few and far between. However, round one, taking on the reigning premiers at Arden Street Oval, North Melbourne nineteen seventy Wooden Spooners, Carlton nineteen seventy Premiers. Oh yeah. North Melbourne shocked Carlton. Taking an early lead, they outscored Carlton in three of the quarters. Slam and Sam Kekovic proved a handful. Along with teammates, Kekovic received fine support from Paul Feltham, who kicked four majors, as well as Mick Dowdle, Rob Patterson, Peterson and future coach Dennis Pagan. 
Um, they they won. They beat Carlton. Let me just get this score up. The bottom place team from the previous year beat the Premiers by 26 points. This Jeez, is you'd be up and potentially about. the biggest uh, biggest upset in years. Definitely in the opening round. Coat the uh, the curse of the president's wife is back. Um, 124 points, which was the Ruse score in that game, was their highest ever against Carlton to that point. Wow. Yeah. God, so, that's a way to come out of the gates. Isn't it? Now, Brian Dixon would be very happy with that as well. I mean, yeah. Jugg- and the other thing we didn't talk about, Brian, Jugg- Brian Dixon juggling politics and football still. Oh, yeah, he's still... He's Coaching still the with member of St Kilda. Member of St Kilda, yeah. yeah. Uh, round four, trailing by 23 points at halftime. North put in a big performance in the last quarter to overrun the Bulldogs. It was fullback David Dench, who's dashing 50 to 60 yard who dashed 50 to 60 yards to kick a goal that sealed their seven-point win. Athol Rogers kicked four goal, five goals in just his fourth game. In round nine, Geelong travelled up to meet North at Arden Street and had a great quarter, kicking seven goals seven, but they couldn't muster anything in the second quarter. The Kangaroos slowly pegged back the lead and overran the dogs in overran the Cats in the final quarter. Although they should have won by more than 15 points, they had 15 more scoring shots. Uh, Robert... Patterson kicked seven five, and Leo Gronerwegen, the main culprit, with four behinds. Their next win was in round fourteen against the Lions, although they couldn't quite put the Lions away. Kekovic was leading goal kick goal scorer with four five, and John Perry leading possessions with twenty eight. Keith Gregg played his best game yet with eighteen point uh, sorry eighteen disposals, kicking three goals one. Round 18, North thought they'd kick themselves out of the game against the Ds, um, especially when the siren went and one of the scoreboards showed them behind by a point. They'd kicked nine goals 14 and were led well by Paul Feltham, but luckily for them, the main scoreboard showed the scores a tie. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Before the Roos round 21 game against the Bombers, there were two rumours floating around. The first was that Brian Dixon was going to come out of retirement and play. The second was that Get Sam... back on the wing, son. The second was that Sam Kekovic couldn't play because he'd hurt his knee while on the rub-down table. This was true. Hurt his knee on the rub-down table? I don't know how that happens, but he hurt his knee on the rub-down table. It folded up with him still on it. <laughs> Possibly. Uh, so Gary Farrant came in to replace Slam and Sam. But Keith Gregg was the dominant factor in the Ruse win over Essendon here, giving them constant drive to, to, forward, to the forward line and worrying the Bombers' small men with his burst of speed around the ball. The Ruse won by 31 points in their last win of the season. Nice. So, I mean, look, they're slowly putting together this list that we'll see grow over the next few years. Look, after finishing on the bottom last year, you'd be happy with the, the step, step up, but after beating Carlton convincingly in the first round, you'd probably be disappointed with finishing ninth, wouldn't you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, the lead goal kicker, Slam and Sam, with 35, and the Sid Barker medal in 1971 went to the great fullback, David Dench. Very nice. Uh, which takes us up the ladder to Footscray. Uh, so Footscray with 11 wins and 11 losses. Yeah. yeah broke um, even. Broke even and 88.7%. Uh, so captained by Gary Dempsey and coached by Teddy Whitten. Right, some debutants include Colin Dell and Ross Abbey. So pre-season, the leaders of McGee, Bissett and Thorpe, the captains and the vice-captains, were replaced by Witten. So uh, you said Dempsey was the captain. Oh, um, sorry, yes. Yeah. Yep. Um, Merrington and Bernie Quinlan were the new vice-captains. So this kind of ruffled the feathers that they changed these leaders, leaders over and really undermined the teamwork of the dogs. 
Oh, so okay. it's no surprise that they started the season with two losses, which totaled over 120 points. They got their first win in round three. David Thorpe and Stuart McGee helping them roll the Swans by a goal. Two weeks later, an eight goal to three first quarter set up a 20-point win over the Tigers at the MCG. Thorpe again leading possessions with 10 players enjoying the goals. So sharing the goals around. Okay, round six, Charlie. The Hawks were playing the Bulldogs. The Hawks were previously unbeaten. Yep. The Bulldogs got out to a good lead, but time and again, the Hawks kept coming at them. Four times, in fact, the Hawks came back. Twice in the third quarter, twice in the last quarter, but every time the, do- the Hawks kind of seemed like they were going to take Pulled the game, over. the doggies then Just fought back. back. Yeah, yep. um, They really controlled the game across the centre line. Most of the backmen had control, and their big men were really good. David Thorpe had 36 kicks, and Bernie Quinlan kicked four goals in a one-goal win. Nice. Um, in round eight, their home ground, Footscray employed a perpetual barrage of handball to conquer the Bombers by 40 points. It was an attractive style to watch, perhaps emulating Carlton from 1970. Um, the handball stats were 75 to the Dogs and 23 to the Bombers. Uh, round 10, they had a shootout with the Cats. Quinlan and Merrington kicking five goals each as the Dogs won by two points. The combined scores of the two teams were 246 points. Oof. It's the highest ever between two teams up until this point. Up until that point, yep. Yeah. Um, now, round 12, as a way to motivate the players before the game against Collingwood, Ted Whitten played his team a recorded version of the team's song and made them sing it pre-game. The enthusiasm built up and it saw the dogs scrape to a 17-point win. Captain Gary Dempsey, a big partner, taking 19 marks around the ground and doggies fullback David Darcy holding goal-kicking machine Peter McKenna to one goal. Really? Yeah. That's very impressive. So who knew? You sing the song before the game. <laughs> Pump yourselves up. Why bother singing it after? It's done. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, round 13, the Dogs' defence held up brilliantly under pressure, led by Gordon Casey, David Darcy, Peter Wells, and Gary Dempsey, as the Demons couldn't score the elusive goal to get over the Dogs, who held on to win by two points. The winning point was kicked by 19th man Bill Goodrich, who ran into an open goal and probably actually should have kicked the goal. Yeah. the point, but won uh. the game for the Doggies. In round 14, they just hung on to beat the Swans by two points. Bernie Quinlan again the star with 26 disposals and four goals won. Interestingly, the Doggies' handballs were falling off. They were down to 36 in this game. But someone must have told Teddy Whitten that um, because it was up again for the next game against North. Uh, and it was the best scene in years as it helped them coast to an effortless win over the Kangaroos. Their handball opened up the play and helped them smash the Kangaroos on the Waverley grass. Quinlan kicked seven goals, nine from centre-half forward. McGee and Dempsey also doing well, and David Thorpe helping himself to 40 disposals. Oh, beautiful. Round 16 was a resounding win over the Tigers, which was all the more impressive as they were missing David Thorpe and Dempsey with state duties. Ricky Spargo starred. Stuart McGee shut down Ian Stewart, and Barry Round collected, con- controlled the rucks. Uh, now, in a low-class game against Essendon, both sides kicked pretty poorly for goal. Footscray was bad, but the Bombers were terrible. David Darcy was again a rock in defence as the Dogs scraped home by the barest of margins for their final win of the season. Now, finally, in October, the board sacked Teddy Witten for the second time. Um, <laughs> Witten was very bitter and disappointed and angry about this. I mean, I, d- I, under- I mean, sacking, sacking him is pretty terrible. But they've underachieved. I mean, they made finals in what 1961. Uh, I don't know. If, I don't think they've made finals in that since then. I can't. I can't think. But yeah, you've got to be. You've got to move on. Sometimes. I mean, you know, that loyalty only lasts so long, right? Right. Surely. So, um, uh, the lead goal kicker for Footscray this year was Bernie Quinlan with 48. 
George Bissett just behind him with 45. And the Charlie Sutton medal in 1971 went to David Thorpe for the second time. Yeah, the Doggies haven't made the finals since 1961. Yes, yeah, so The yeah. highest they finished since then is fifth, and that was the year after. Yeah. So, so I mean, Teddy Williams. No, yeah. Not really doing no. much. Uh, so that moves us up the ladder further to seventh, where those uh, not-so-mighty demons are sitting, uh, with 11 wins, one draw, and 10 losses, and a percentage of 109.5. Mm. Uh, so there was, there, there was those rumours that Brassie was coming to coach. Ah, uh, yes. But he did end up signing on with Carlton. So who's coaching, who's coaching Melbourne this year? Who's coaching Melbourne? It is Ian Ridley. Taking over from Johnny Beck. Tiger Ridley. Yes. And captained by Frank Davis again. Great. Uh, some debutants include Harry Henry Ritterman. Some debuts include Henry Ritterman, Bruce Brown, and a player by the name of John Tilbrook. Um, not a player of note, but important to know who he is for this Demon season. So tell us a bit about him, Charlie. Uh, so Johnny Tilbrook, or Diamond Jim, as he was known around the club, due to the expense the Demons had gone uh, to in order to sign him. So he, they captured the prize signature of the five-time Premiership player from South Australia in March, but they were forced to fight for his clearance from Sturt for the first half of the season. He had initially denied he wanted to move states before deciding to join the Ds. So Secretary Jim Cardwell made three trips to Adelaide to negotiate for his release, but Sturt were adamant that they would only let their 128-game champion go if the Demons paid a $15,000 transfer fee. And Johnny was paid $5,000 a season for four years. All right. He, um, I'll talk about him a little bit later. Yes. Make sure you're a bit closer. Sorry. Yeah, that's right. Um, so... A little bit about Ian Ridley. He'd guided the reserves to two successful premierships, um, and when Barassi was announced as uh, staying at Carlton, he was a natural successor to uh, Johnny Beckwith. One of the new coach's innovations was to throw open the doors of the change rooms and allow fans to listen to his pre-match address. Oh! Um, in an attempt to improve the side's performance, the committee made all players undergo vision testing before the start of the year as well, which is really clever. Like, it's such a simple thing. It does make sense, But making sure it? you can see. <laughs> yeah. Um, like you and I were talking about the other day, um, this deep thinking trend that's happening at the moment, like teaching people to listen properly. Yeah. Just wait until that comes into the football world. Yes, exactly. Yeah. As uh, soon as someone wins a flag, as we said, yeah. then it'll be on it. Um, committeeman Cole McLean said, a number of players have been diagnosed with previously unknown sight issues. There was also a new standards for grooming with the first training session of the new season carrying a ban on beards, moustaches, sideboards and long hair. Really? Yeah. Which, so with a couple of hairdressers down at... Which I'm sure wouldn't have flown during Norm Smith's era. So once Smith went, like they must have just started growing their hair and, yeah. and now that nah, can't do it again. Shave those sideburns. Yes. Yeah. Round one, from start to finish, the Ds dominated South Melbourne all around the, ga- the ground. Five goals in each of the first three quarters, followed by nine in the final, saw the Ds win by 105 points. Oh... Big men Keenan, Crackers Keenan, Malloy, and first gamer John Gallus were dominant. Uh, Paul Callery and Dennis Clark were big winners in the centre. Ridley enjoyed a dream coaching debut. And as the final siren sounded, fans, uh, Demons fans gave Tiger Ridley a standing ovation. Nice. Excuse me. In round two, to help ensure victory, champion Bulldog Gary Dempsey was targeted in the first 10 minutes. And after ten, two bumps early on him, he was in the hands of trainers and played no major part in the side's day. 
So obviously the D's playing the doggies here. Yeah. Um, as the wind affected Western Oval, the Demons allowed the doggies two goals into the breeze during the first term, but restricted them to just three within the second and third quarters, by which time they'd open up a 15-point lead. A six-goal-to-one final quarter helped them win back-to-back. Round three, Melbourne played a play-on-at-all-costs lightning-fast handball game, which helped them to beat Carlton, kind of with their own system. The margin was less than three goals at half-time, but the Blues did hit back after the half. But to their credit, the Demons were able to steady the ship and Carlton were nearly held scoreless for the rest of the quarter, while their opponent, the Demons, opened up a four-goal margin, which would ultimately see them home by 27 points. Round four against the Bombers saw both teams trying to get their first win at Waverley Park. Unfortunately, the Demons got the Chockeys on this day with a 35-point win. Unfortunately? Well, <laughs> I mean, it's never good when the bad guys win, is it? <laughs> Uh, round five, the Ds were more than nine goals up at halftime against the Lions, but then Fitzroy began a blistering comeback, which nearly saw them steal the match. The margin was back to just over four goals at the last change, um, but afterwards the Demons kicked seven goals to two in the third term, um, and suddenly they'd won five games in a row, Charlie. Hey, Tiger what? Ridley was Who the, is this? Tiger Ridley was being hailed as the second coming of Norm Smith. Then they lost to Collingwood. <laughs> Uh, round seven, though, look, they, they were able to right the ship for a little bit. Against the Ruse at the G, the Demons overused the ball with handball in the first half, and they trailed by five points. Their case wasn't helped by North Melbourne's scragging tactics, which were intent on slowing their game down and stopping the Demons from playing on. After the break, Melbourne managed to get back to their old game style, but it took until the last quarter for them to stri- skip away. Uh, the match was well and truly won after an eight-goal-to-one burst. In the final quarter, they won by 45 points. It was Melbourne's highest score against North Melbourne for 34 years. And I know it when you. I know you love it when they beat the, the Kangaroos. Absolutely. Uh, then they travelled to Cardinia Park against the Cats, and the game was close for most of the day and hinged on Melbourne's superior speed and their clean marking. Graham Malloy was dominant at Ruck Rover, and Ray Biffin beat Doug Wade so comfortably he held the full forward to just two goals. Wade was moved onto the ball in a desperate move by the Cats late in the game. A close round nine game against the Saints saw the Ds trailing for much of the first half. Um, they appeared to lose concentration during the third quarter as St Kilda stormed back. And the Saints were dominant in the ruck and had kicked five goals to nothing to take a really commanding lead. But two late goals in that third quarter to Paul Callery were invaluable in getting the Demons back in the match. The Ds hit the lead five minutes into the last term and for the rest of the day, not a single goal was scored. Oh. The Saints three behinds to one... Uh, failed to get them over the line. D's by three points. So, Charlie, at this stage of the season, Melbourne fans felt like they were returning to the golden era. They were second on the ladder. They'd lost one game. They were 8-1. and one. And They set their sights on the finals, but then things fell apart. And I was having a read through Stan Elves' autobiography. Yep. And he blames Mike Tilbrook. Oh, really? So it was around about this time Mike John Tilbrook. Tilbrook. John Tilbrook. John Tilbrook. So he blames John Tilbrook. Yeah, okay, interesting. Because he came to the club. This is when he arrived. Such a big reputation. Uh, I think the Saints game was his first game. He came with such a big reputation and was being paid so much more money than them. Yeah. That the players were kind of a bit spiteful about that. Yep, fair and, enough. Um, I, th- I think he kind of intimated that they were refusing to play it past to him and like. Oh, so they paid all this money for a star recruit and then they won't use him. Yeah, all the players didn't like that he was getting more money. Fair enough. Yeah. That much more money as well, right? Like, yes. Yeah. Uh, so he is... Stan Elves blames him for the drop-off here. They lost to the Hawks and the Tigers. Against South, the score was two goals three to two goals nine um, at half-time. <laughs> Coach Ian Ridley blasted his players 
and boy did they respond with a three-goal burst in five minutes in the third term that pretty much wrapped up victory. Uh, Crackers Keenan was dominant in the ruck and Glenn Malloy revelling in the slushy conditions in the last quarter. Um, was, look, the last quarter was a bit of a training drill um, and they held the Swans to do two goals, six for the day. So mm. pretty poor game. Two more losses saw them only in the forward percentage. But a win over the Bombers did consolidate their spot. But then losses to Fitzroy and Collingwood saw them drop from the fall. Uh, round 18, a tiny crowd of 6,522 saw them play at Arden Street against North Melbourne in very muddy conditions. Um, a last quarter revival led by Callery and Tillerbrook helped the Demons score more than they had in the first three terms. It was Callery's goal that levelled the scores late in the day. And I talked about this earlier. Chaos reigned when the siren went. Yes. And the scores showed uh, the Demons up by... One, one scoreboard showed Demons by a point. The other said showed scores are level. The umpires conferred and they agreed that it was a draw. A draw. Yes. All right, round 19. Desperate to play finals, they needed a win over the Cats at the MCG. And after three quarters of uninspiring football, Ian Ridley gave his side an earful at the last break. And spectators on the northern side of the ground who could hear it were so impressed they gave him a standing ovation. <laughs> I love it. The players must have been listening to because they delivered a blistering last quarter to keep their slim finals hopes alive. They added eight goals to one to keep their barely flickering hopes of top four finish alive. Um, but obviously it wasn't to be. They lost their final three games of the season oh. in one that had looked so promising. And then falls apart. Then falls apart. Unbelievable. So it seems like uh, one of the standout stars of the season was uh, this lead goal kicker, Paul Callery, with yeah. 38 uh, goals. Is he a name you know at all? No, he's not. Not one I, I, I know well. I might have to do a bit of research in there. Yeah. Uh, and the uh, Keith Bluey Truscott Award went to Greg Wells, Paul Callery uh, runner-up. So, uh, the days. Promised so much Promised so much, yeah. So that takes us up to sixth, where we have Fitzroy sitting. Uh, so with 12 wins and 10 losses, and 106.9% uh, coached by Graham Donaldson and captained by Kevin Bullard-Murray. Some debutants include Ray Salt, Lyle Skinner, Renato Serafini and Gary Wilson. Yes, Gary Wilson, the flea, they called him. He was described as having limitless courage in his playing days. Uh, he's a wispy rover with a playing weight of only 64 kilos. Easy, if only. Yeah. Uh, he played wearing a head guard after several concussions. Many considered him one of the most technically gifted players ever to play the game, and he was renowned for his hard training ethic. Despite being thought to too frail for league football by some people, he proved himself one of the most brilliant rovers of his era. He frequently displayed courage and persistence above and beyond the call of duty. Fantastic. That is... Jeez, that is a bio you just love to have. Oh, absolute champion. It? Absolute champion. Um, Who would you say what coach was? Uh, Graham Donaldson. Yes, replacing Bill Stephen, who yes. had stepped down. Um, so pre-season, one of their star players, Trevor McGregor, won the store gift. Oh, good on him. After fin- finishing second the previous year. Now, round three, Gary Wilson made his debut against North Melbourne at the Junction Oval and kicked three goals in the Lions' first win, which was a 36-point win. Uh, Lions also led well by David Rhodes and Barry Padley. Their next win was round six at Waverley against the Cats. The Lions set themselves up with a seven goal to one second quarter to take control, but then allowed the Cats back into the game, only leading by eight points at three-quarter time. 
Uh, but they were able to turn it on again with a seven goal to one last quarter to win by 45. John Murphy and Norm Brown with four each and Kevin Murray, his usual best. In round eight, fourth gamer Jack Newton was the star, booting eight for the Lions in a second-half demolition of the Swans at Lakeside Oval. Everyone's picking on the Swans. Yeah. Newton added six more the following week in a topsy-turvy game against the Doggies, where, led by captain Kevin Murray, they turned a 23-point quarter-time deficit into a five-goal half-time lead and eventually won by 41 points. Against the Bombers in round 11, the first three quarters were close, but in the last, the Lions turned it on, kicking nine goals to one in the last to win by 58. And then the following week, John Murphy led them to a three-goal win against the Tigers. <laughs> against the Demons at the MCG in round 16, in appalling conditions, superior teamwork saw the Lions lead all day and hold on for a 15-point win and in the process hold Melbourne to their lowest score against Fitzroy since 1922. Ugh. Would you like to know what that score was? I would. That score, Charlie, was... <laughs> four goals, 10, 34. Oh, I mean, the Lions only scored 7-7 seven, seven for 49. 4-10, So no. it was obviously terrible, Oof. terrible conditions. Uh, the Lions won their last four games of the season, beating South and Footscray. In round 21, this is the most interesting game. Um, it is known as the Fog Game. Oh, it's okay. So in front of 22,413 fans at Junction Oval, the Lions had a strong first half and led by 25 points. But then, heavy fog enveloped the ground at halftime, rolling in off the bay. Um, it actually helped the Blues as they came back in the third quarter to only trail by a goal. The ages Peter McFarlane said for two quarters all the crowd could see were grotesque, shadowy figures appearing and disappearing into the gloom. <laughs> but grotesque. in the Yeah, and if you look at photos, you can't see like more than so three, a four full ahead. Pete a fog. Pea super. Fog. Yeah, pea super. Yeah. In the last quarter, John Murphy kicked three goals, and when the fog cleared and the blues players could see the scoreboard again, they discovered they'd lost by four goals. <laughs> um, this seriously dented the blues' chances of making finals and defending their crown. Um, this is Fitzroy's first win over Carlton since 1961. But yeah, there's some great photos of this, which we'll nice. post on our socials as well. Uh, now, before finishing the season on a high note, um, sorry, uh, the, the Lions finished the season on a high note, coming from behind to beat the Bombers at Windy Hill. So finishing, what what were they? Six, Six. was their highest yep. position since 1960. Uh, but in sad news, also Percy Parrott passed away. Oh, the great man. Yeah. Jeez, I, I'm surprised... He was still floating around. Well, he'd be in his seventies. Okay. He was. He was a star in the. Tw- I think it was the twenties. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, seventy, maybe eighty. Yeah. There we go. So who was the? Uh, who uh, won the awards? John Murphy, uh, lead goal kicker with forty-seven. Not bad for a rover. No, no, very good. And um, the best and fairest this year went to John Murphy as well. Not bad. Good year for the man. So that uh, takes us up the ladder to fifth place. The uh, the winners of the losers, I guess the we could highest, call them. The, the highest. The highest loser. Yeah. The biggest loser. Yes. The, but then... Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> sorry. Uh, <laughs> so on in fifth place, we had Carlton. 
with 14 wins and 8 losses and a percentage of 104.4. Reigning Premiers. The reigning Premiers, Carlton, missing the finals. Nothing's changed in in charge there. Captained again by John Nichols, coached by Ronald Dale Barassi. Yes. Um, Some debutantes include Daryl Gutterson and Jeff Southby. Charlie, tell us a bit about Jeff. Uh, So... Jeff, arguably the finest fullback of his era, he proved to be an immediate success after joining Carlton from Sandhurst in 71, having earlier played in the VAFA with Powerhouse, where he won a Best and Fairest Award in 1969. So he's perfectly built for a key position, defender at 188 centimetres and 87 kilos. He's quick, strong, adaptable and extraordinarily dogged. And uh, must rank as one of the hardest defenders to beat one-on-one in the history of the game. Great. Um, do you want to get the night series thing ready while I just got well? Round one was an embarrassment as the Blues lost to the Kangaroos. Once again, Teddy Hopkins started on the bench. Um, in what actually turned out to be his last appearance for the Blues before he accepted a job as a ranger at Falls Creek. Hey. So the 1970 grand final where he is so often talked about was his second last game. Wow. In round two, they took on Essendon, and after controlling the match comfortably throughout the first half, the Blues appeared to relax during the third, but then they made the Bombers pay dearly with a nine-goal blitz to run out ten-goal winners. In round four, Blues legend John Nichols celebrated his 250th game in a hard-fought win over Geelong at the Cattery. Then the following week, he kicked four goals and a win over the Saints with Robert Wall's best on ground. Round six, the Swans seemed to have Carlton's measure all day, and it wasn't until late in the game when Jezza kicked his fifth to give the Blues the lead um, that they actually, you know, took the lead. No. Round six, the Swans seemed to have Carlton's measure all day, and it wasn't until late in the game when Jezza kicked his fifth that the Blues actually took the lead um, and eventually ran out two-point winners. Round seven against the Doggies, the Blues seemed to have things well under control at halftime, but then the Dogs stormed back, so we can see a bit of a pattern here. The Doggies had a superb third term and, and led at orange time. The Blues veterans in Silvani and Nichols and younger, younger veteran Wall steadied the ship and ultimately claimed the win by two goals. Now, around this time, Blues coach Ron Barassi wanted to get Bill Barrett across from St Kilda. And we'll talk about this more when we get to St Kilda and Richmond. And yes. Why, and why this has happened. Yeah, yeah, yep, yep. Um, but he was confident he could get the best out of the 27-year-old. So Barrett was offered and accepted an opportunity to continue his career with the reigning premiers. Wearing the old jersey, wearing jersey number 24, Billy Barrett officially became a blue um, and he took on the customary role in the centre against the Hawks at Princes Park in round nine. However, it wasn't a happy debut. Although he did some good work and was credited with 19 possessions, Carlton was hammered by 10 goals and dropped to sixth on the ladder. Ugh. Round 10 against the Lions, coach Ron Barassi and Fitzroy coach Graham Donaldson famously agreed to play with a 50-yard square marked out and only four players permitted in the centre bounce. So they a just trial. took it off their bat as a trial. Okay, interesting. The Blues shot out to a four-goal lead and appeared likely to career away. The Lions refused to be brushed off and fought desperately, getting within a goal late in the game, but the Blues steadied to win by 15 points. Um, there's no further news on how that goal square, the centre square worked out, but it would have been around that time they were trialling it and yep. seeing if it would work. We know now that, that it, it works. It, it or it does, yeah, yeah. It's been working for years. Um, a heavy round 11 loss to Collingwood was typified by David Mackay, who during the game burst from the pack, setting sail goalwards and hoofing the ball 50 metres in the wrong direction. <laughs> yeah. 
Round 12, seeking revenge against the Kangaroos for their round one embarrassment. Big John Nichols controlled the skies and Ricky McLean produced possibly his best game for Carlton at full forward. But Jeff Southby, recruit, was the real star of the show. He had the crowd swooning with his glorious display at fullback as they cruised to a 91-point win. The Roos score of three goals, five was their lowest ever score against the Blues. Now, at Windy Hill, the next week, newcomer Bill Barrett was best on ground with 37 disposals in a narrow win over Essendon. They beat Melbourne, and then it was newcomer ex-cat Chris Mitchell who kicked five goals to help sink his ex-team, Geelong at Princess Park, by 37. Although they lost to the Saints, this match marked the start of an extraordinary 160 get straight games for Bruce Stuhl, who had been playing since 1969. Yes. So he'd been in and out of the side. And now From he's here in. on in, he's pretty stable. He's in. Round 17 was an absolutely unforgettable day for every Carlton supporter as Alex Jezelenko, Adrian Gallagher and Bill Barrett shared 20 of Carlton's 24 goals for the match, while the Blues absolutely destroyed South Melbourne at Prince's Park. <laughs> The Navy Blue onslaught was led by Barrett, who free-wheeled his way from the centre and kicked six goals in a best-on-ground display. Almost as good was Rover Gallagher, who joined the party to boot seven, while Jezzo at full forward also kicked seven. Nice. Then a hard-fought win over the Dogs was followed by a loss to the Tigers, which put their season in a precarious position. They put in a concerted team effort the following week to beat the Hawks, with Jezza kicking seven, but the following week in the fog match, which we just talked about, the Blues were beaten by the inclement weather and the Lions, which made finals out of the question. They did save some face, however. And it's a shame they lost that fog match because if they had won it, they would have played Collingwood in the final round and the winner would have been the made, made yeah, the finals. Yep. This extraordinary match between some of the fierce, you know, two fierce rivals uh, was memorable for many reasons. In circumstances similar to the 1970 grand final, the, uh, the Carlton team played very poorly in the first half and trailed Collingwood by 42 points at halftime. Oh, wow. But after a heated clash in the rooms between Barassi and Bill Barrett, Ooh. who tore off his jumper and quit the club on the spot. Carlton came out and kicked 13 of the last 16 goals in the game to snatch victory well before the final side. Without Barrett on the field. Yep, yeah, so down to, what's that, 19 men. Yeah. Carlton's saviours were Brent Crosswell and 19th man Brian Quirk. Quirk replaced Barrett and sparked his team to victory with his dominance across the centre of the ground. That's why I think Bill Barrett is the new Dick Condon. Huge. Yeah. He's absolutely brilliant when he wants to be and an absolute loose cannon. The game was also significant as it saw the retirement of three uh, Blues icons. Ron Barassi coached his last game for Carlton. Mm -hmm. Uh, Serge Silvani retired, as did future AFL administrator Ian Collins. Okay. So, yeah, an interesting season for Carlton, up and down and not making finals. Yeah, just... Which I think is a, the third or fourth time in the last few seasons that the Premier has, has, has failed not made to make Yeah, you're right, yeah. So uh, lead goal kicker was Alex Jeselenko with 56. That, which is down on his 100 and... Isn't it? Yeah. 100-odd games goals to kick last season. 115, I think it was. Yeah, and the John Nichols medal went to Jeff Southby. First first season? Yeah. That's pretty impressive. In his opening season. So, though, there you go. That is... Uh, that's our bottom eight. That's our bottom eight. Yeah. So, before we finish off for today, we will get to the night series, Charlie. Yes. The uh, final night series for a little while. Yeah. It was 1971. Can you tell us why? Well, a couple of reasons. So, uh, it was due to dwindling attendance, which, uh, of course, uh, league headquarters had noticed. It's been dropping every year since 66, other than last year. Uh, but the other reason is, and we'll talk about this more n- next year, is the, the change in the final series meant that the numbers became uneven. Okay. 
and uh, made it a bit of an unworkable number for the for the knockout way that the night series runs. But we'll go more into that in '72. Uh, so the Hein 1971 Heinz Big Red Night oh, Premiership. Yeah, yeah. So it was uh, the Golden Fleece for a long time. Last year it was uh, something else. It had changed, but now we're the Big Red Night Premiership, named after the tomato sauce and the canned soup, <laughs> of course. Yeah. Um, and this was the first year for a long time, well, first year that all the prize money was actually provided by the sponsor. Wow, so okay. the VFL had been providing some of the money, uh, but this year Heinz was said, you know, take some of our tomato sauce cash. <laughs> so uh, first game, Footscray South Melbourne, Footscray round out winners. Second game, Fitzroy North and Fitzroy uh, beat North very convincingly. Next, uh, next game, Carlton squeaked past Essendon and Melbourne defeated Geelong by 60 points which took us to the semis of Footscray Fitzroy Fitzroy running out 113 points to 78 Uh, and Melbourne Carlton Melbourne running out winners there 74 to 100 so the grand final between Fitzroy and Melbourne and those mighty demons added another trophy to their collection, uh, leading from the beginning um, and never giving it up. What's their third straight night grand final? That's it. Uh, winning 9-9-63 to 12-7-79. Who was coaching the Ds on that day? Ah, very good question, buddy. So, Tiger was uh, having a work-related holiday in Fiji. I don't know what a work-related holiday is. So assistant coach Bernie Massey was leading the team on that day. And you're absolutely right. It was their third grand night grand final in a row, yeah. but their first actual win. Um, so the interest, the interesting, a couple of interesting things were, as well as that lovely little Fiji holiday, was in the semi-final between... Fitzroy and Footscray, the entire game ground to a halt due to an all-in brawl involving 28 <laughs> of the players on the field. It's not known who won the fight, but Fitzroy There's only eight won players the in that who aren't involved. <laughs> yeah, I know. And you wonder whether it was four on either side or whether, like, it yeah. was a 20 to... Yeah, good question. Yeah. A 10 to 18 brawl. Yes. Yeah, who knows? So, there you go. All right. Well, that gets us to the end of our episode today. Nice. So next week, you can tune in to hear the rest of 1971. You'll hear us go through the, the top four. The Brownlow, the Brownlow and the, the finals. finals. Yes. For, perfect. I think it's worked out beautifully. Fantastic. But let us know what you think. Yeah. See you, uh, see you uh, in a week. To find out more about the kick to kick team and the sources we use, visit our website, www.kicktokickpodcast.com. You can contact us via email at kicktokickpodcast at gmail.com or find us on Twitter and Instagram under at kicktokickpod. Thanks so much for listening.